Hello and welcome to this episode of the Print on a Man Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Von Arks, here back with my co-host, Carrie Egler, after us each doing a couple solo episodes. And in this episode, we're gonna be sharing 12 tips to increase your Shopify sales in 2024, because we are just one month away from the new year and we wanna set everyone up for success and we want all of our listeners to absolutely crush it. So in this episode, we're gonna be sharing proven effective strategies to increase your sales, attract new customers, and retain existing customers. But real quick, before we begin, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast or to our YouTube channel, where we also publish these episodes and which you can find in the show notes below. It helps us reach new listeners. It helps you never miss an episode. Everybody wins. Thank you in advance. We appreciate each and every one of you. And now let's jump in. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Print On Demand Playbook Podcast. And I'm excited because Carrie and I are back together. Let's go. I'm sure sure the rumors were swirling. I'm sure everyone was wondering if we had a nasty breakup. No, guys. No. Well, okay, we had a nasty breakup. (laughs) But we've kissed and made up. It's all good now. (laughs) No, I think it's I think it's fun. I think it's fun from time to time to like do some solo stuff and talk about maybe some subjects that we that we want to talk about. And I think we'll be doing a little yeah. bit more of that, especially as we're getting through the holidays here. Uh, and, you know, we've been traveling a lot. We're planning on traveling some more the end of this year. So it just makes it making a little bit sense, uh, more sense logistically for us to to sprinkle in some of those. So but definitely let us know uh, if you enjoyed them or not. Yeah, it was it was kind of cool switching it up. You know, I'm sure people weren't expecting it. So keep keep listeners on their toes. Um, but but the yeah, I mean, is still we alive. Were, the bromance is still alive. That? Yeah, the bromance, the bromance is still is going still strong. <laughs> the bromance, the bromance is going strong. Mm. No, but it's good to be back with you, man. I'm glad we're here together. It's it's always a lot of fun. Uh, it's a lot harder, I'm going to say. I don't know about you, Carrie, but I find it a lot more challenging podcasting on my own because you're trying not to have any gaps in between. You're trying to like keep talking and keep thinking of things and you don't want any pauses or anything like that. It was challenging for me to like- on you. It was challenging for me to get going. Like I redid the yeah. first first like minute. I read redid like three or four times. I was like, why can't I just do this? I'm just it's a podcast. I just just talk, just talk about stuff. <laughs> yeah, but it's nice built to have some time to collect your thoughts, you know, like when I pass it off to you and you're talking and mm-hmm. it makes me think about things too, right? We synergize a lot on the podcast in real time. So you, you're not, you don't have anyone to like synergize. You don't have the time to like just stop talking and think for a bit. So it is a bit more challenging, but I'm glad to be back with you. I'm glad we're here together doing the podcast again. Uh, this week is actually really cool because you were just one of our, with one of our six figure founder members, Tom in Miami and Carlos and I, Carlos, the third six figure founder coach, we're meeting for a happy hour with one of our members here in the Phoenix area. We're meeting with David. So it's just really cool. We're actually meeting our members in person. Uh, this is the first time I've met any six figure founder members in person. So um, pretty cool. Yeah, I was in Miami for five days. I taught an all day class on print on demand. I referenced I referenced you and Carlos like a, a thousand times. Let's go. <laughs> but uh, I was hanging out with uh, Carlos Alvarez from Wizards of Ecom uh, out there in Miami. He's got uh, a physical location where he hosts meetups and workshops, and then he's got a huge online community. And he's like a top Amazon seller. He's 
an absolute baller, like just really cool to hang out with him. And then uh, Tom, who's one of our students, is also one of his protégés. And uh, I met a ton of other people that I've kind of heard about and all this kind of stuff. But it, it was so much fun. They hooked me up with a pro pickleballer the other day. I got to go play with a, with a, <laughs> with a pro pickleball player, which was pretty cool. He played with me for like a couple hours and also got to talk to him about his apparel business because he's doing some apparel stuff. So he was like, let me give you some pickleball tips. And I was like, let me help you with your apparel uh, stuff. So I gave him some, some cool tips, kind of get him in the right, in the right direction. Um, so I had a great time in Miami. It's really cool. Like it's just so different seeing people in person, but it's just a different Mm -hmm. kind of connection you can make. And it's just, it's so interesting to hear like the types of questions and how they digest it as opposed to, you know, doing everything online is what I'm used to. I rarely ever do things in person. So, so cool to see real faces. Uh, and I want to do more of that kind of stuff because it's a different, definitely different vibe. It is. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, well, now that you're back, now that I'm back, I was in LA with my wife, LA and San Diego, and we've, we've both been traveling, but we're here now and we're excited because in this episode, We're gonna be talking about ways to increase your sales on Shopify. This is gonna be 12 tips for success in 2024. And y'all know that Carrie and I, we can talk about print on demand. Like we can talk all day, every day about print on demand. So I'm just gonna set the expectation that this is most likely gonna be a two-parter unless by some freak of nature we can actually get through 12 tips in around 45 minutes no uh, so, <laughs> we're saying it's a two-parter it's a two-parter yeah. just we're setting that expectation right now so but I, I think I, I do think our listeners like it when we go like this is a this is a deep this is like mm-hmm. a guide this is like a 2024 guide full yes. just like deep rich content so like there's a lot in here and you can take this guide going into 2024 and just crush it. Just boo, hit the ground running in 2024. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to, yeah, you're right. We, we like to dive deep on this. This is why we do the podcast. It's long form. We want mm-hmm. to be just, we want to just put it all out there for you guys. I think that's why a lot of people like the podcast because it allows us to have more time to expand on things and share thoughts. So um, we're not going to hold back. We, we never hold back. So uh, just before we jump into that, I got to share, we got to shout out one of our listeners. And this is actually someone who DM'd me on Instagram and he wrote a really nice message. And I DM'd him back and I said, thank you so much for your kind message. Would you mind if we shared your message on the podcast? And he was like, I would be honored. So here we go. Shout out to Nerdy Nature. Uh, Nerdy who Nature. DM'd me on Instagram from Germany, Nerdy Nature. I think it's a, it's, it's a brand in the nature niche. And so this is what he said in the DMs. He said, hi Adrian, I just felt like writing you out of nowhere. I'm a big fan of you and Carrie's podcast. I was into the idea of print on a man for quite a while, but it took me some time to get everything ready. I first played around with some mid-journey images, posting them on marketplaces like Redbubble, but this didn't feel right. Then I tested how Etsy works, did some products there, and this was the time that I discovered your podcast. I already know a lot of this stuff from other media, but you two stand out, and this is because of your authenticity. 
just awesome. You celebrate every single episode and this got me hyped more and more. So I decided to try your way, choose my niche, build a store, launch it yesterday. When he sent me this DM, he had just launched his store the day prior. And now I'm trying to understand Instagram. Let's go. Let's go. I've said it before, I'll say it again. One of the biggest compliments we can get is that you took action. That's what this Love is it. all about. We wanna see our listeners take action. Um, so I'm so proud of you for taking action. I'm proud of all of our listeners for taking action. All right, I will continue. As you may see, I'm at the very beginning, but I'm optimistic and I really want this to work. I just wanted you to know that it was you guys that took my fright to just set things up and do it. Greetings from Germany, Pascal. Thank you, Pascal Dude. Nerdy Nature. I love you that, man. Rock, You're man. awesome. That is so good. Yeah. That is so good. Um, thank man, we for, love, thank I love you for the nice those. message. Really appreciate and it. Can I, can I just say two quick things? A huge thank you. I know we do this from time to time, but thank you to you listeners. I just look, I was just looking, we just, we just hit 80, 80 reviews. That's pretty awesome. 80 reviews are going on a hundred. Uh, and I think, I, I think compiled across the platforms, like we're approaching 200,000 listens in under a year. But what's crazy about that is that I, that it was just like, I feel like it was just like two, maybe two months ago. We were like, we're just hit a hundred thousand listens. Is that, am I wrong? Was that yeah. maybe three months ago? And then like all that of a sudden, sounds- just, so now we're, we're like getting close to 200,000. And I think it's, I mean, it's partly because we have more episodes out. People can go and listen to maybe consume more episodes. So we, it gets more plays, but like, thank you so much. It's so we're it's crazy that we've been doing that. We haven't even been doing this a year yet. We're coming up on a year in January and you guys have just shown so much support way bigger than we ever thought. So this has been a great first year. I know we definitely want to keep it going into the future for sure. It's been awesome. I totally agree. I totally, man, like how inspired are you carried by our listeners? Like too good. you guys are the reason we're, we're doing this, why we started this, why we're continue to do it. You're the reason for us. So please, if you're enjoying the podcast, keep the reviews coming. We really appreciate it. It really motivates us. It gets us fired up and excited. And we bring that enthusiasm, or at least, oh, I spit, I was so enthusiastic. We try <laughs> to bring that enthusiasm to the podcast every single week. So, um, and that's why we love to shout you guys out. And we're going to continue shouting you guys out because you deserve acknowledgement. So keep up the good work. Keep taking action. All right, Carrie, let's get into the main event. You ready to rock? Let's do it. All right. So we're going to talk. Let's do it. Let's do, we're going to talk about 12 pro tips to increase your Shopify sales in 2024, because guys, we are less than a month away from the new year. So this is going to be an opportunity for a refresh to re-strategize, to refocus. And I'm sure after the holidays, people are going to be really fired up to start taking action. So we want to give you guys this plan a little bit in advance so that if you want to take action a little bit earlier, you want to like, you know, think about this a little bit earlier, you can do that. The way I think about it is setting New Year's resolutions before January 1st is like having a head start on a race. You know what I mean? It's like, you don't have to wait till January 1st. You can take this up and apply it now. And good example of that is Nerdy Nature who's doing that. So um, let's just jump into tip one. This is essentially, we, we put this in a very logical sequence. This is what I would say is the most important kind of as you go down in this order. So the first and foremost thing, we've talked about this before, we had a dedicated episode about this before, and that is to niche 
down. I cannot state how important this is. Remember, if you appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. And like we say all the time, I think this, is, this was the title of our past uh, episode was the riches are in the niches. So there's a reason why people say that. Actually, the that riches are in the niches. <laughs> the riches are in the, the niches. It's the only time I call it niche. Know. Only because it works. I've transitioned from time. niche to niche. I'm full yeah, niche. Yeah, yeah. I right, brought you over to the dark side. But uh, but yeah, the riches are in the niches. Um, <laughs> and I, I want to say that this is by far, Carrie, let me know if you agree. This is by far one of the most common challenges that newer, newer apparel brands struggle with. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, uh, the, you know, at least when I teach it, you know, it, this is the very first thing, like the very, for beginners, I'm like the first thing, choose a niche, like just pick one. And, and you know, I even go through the three P's, which happy to expand on that here, but um, picking the right niche and then kind of that, that's the foundation for everything. And it even goes into really what's kind of the, like one of the final steps, not final is not the right word, but one of the later steps is is marketing and selling. Like when you go to market your, your products, having a niche allows you to be really specific with who you t target and how you, how you speak to them in your marketing. And it will make that connection so much stronger if you can specifically call out certain people in your marketing. And so it's crazy because the niche is really the foundation and it like, it, it is a, a, a guide through all, you know, these other places that you go from your designs to the ver the types of wording and verbiage you're using on your website to then your marketing, the kind of content you're putting out and the ads you're writing and those kind of different things, your emails, it all funnels from that niche. And so it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's huge. Yeah. And this is, this is, and should be one of your biggest differentiators. You know, a lot of people, when they start a brand, they're like, well, how do I differentiate? A great way to start is differentiating by niche. Like if, you, if there's a bunch of brands in the dog niche and you want to differentiate from them, but you want to be the dog niche, try differentiating by dominating a breed, dominate pit bulls, dominate poodles, dominate chihuahuas, whatever. I would say find like a really popular breed and be the king or queen of a brand dedicated to that breed because you're going to catch a lot more eyeballs if with let's say chihuahua lovers, if your brand is all about chihuahuas, you know what I mean? As opposed to just dogs. There's a lot of dog brands out there. There's a lot of successful dog brands out there. I'm not saying it can't be successful. I'm just saying a way to differentiate from other dog brands is to go a layer deeper. It can mm -hmm. be, you know, there's other ways you can do it too. You can be like, oh, mom dog lovers. I'm just making that up on the spot. But I, I like to go niche down a layer by breed because I think that there's a lot of, it's a lot more, it's a lot simpler to dominate when you go the the layer deeper. And if someone sees a shirt that says Chihuahuas make me happy, you not so much versus dogs make me happy, you not so much because Chihuahuas is more specific and more specific to them. That's going to catch their eye more. Yeah, another so way. You, I, another, I like this differentiator. Another way you can differentiate is by inside of a niche is by by offering a certain type of product, being the specialized place for that product, right? So using dogs as the example is what if you went out to print on demand, you found a unique product like a, you know, travel suitcase. We've talked about, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but mm -hmm. if you had doggy 
you know, niche doggy designs on, uh, on travel suitcases and accessories, like you've differentiated yourself. There's nowhere else selling that, right? Like, so you can do it by product. You can be a hat brand. You can be a, a, a drinkware brand, right? There are ways to differentiate based off product. There's also other other ways that you can differentiate, like like personalization. You know, I've seen so many brands in the dog dog. We keep using the dog niche in this example, but they differentiate by offering personalization on their products. You know, you've seen the the brand that has the pillows that are shaped like you order it and it's shaped like your dog and it has the print on the front. It's like that's a yeah. unique, you know, that's product and that personalization aspect. So I think the most common way is, is like you said, niche down by breed or some type of thing like that. But then also you can become the uh, you can become the expert or the specialized place to shop, uh, the leader in a certain product category or a certain feature. Yeah, one other way that immediately comes to mind is overlapping interests, like really common overlapping interests. One that you hear a lot or I've heard a lot is coffee and dogs, right? So you're taking two really popular niches where there's a lot of overlap with the two audiences and you create a brand around both of those. Another example, this is whole strength, which overlaps Christianity and working out at the gym and just totally random. I was at the gym this morning and there was literally a guy wearing a whole strength shirt. It had the Bible quote on the back. It had the whole strength logo on the front. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And it wasn't even the first time I've seen whole strength. It's just cool because we talk about these e-commerce brands (laughs) out there in the world. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, So kind of doubling down just to wrap up our thoughts on step number one, which is niching down. I want to, I want to kind of double down on what Carrie said. Your designs, your website, your marketing is all going to be influenced by your niche. So until you're crystal clear on your niche and you know who you want to serve, you, you have a clear idea of your ideal customer, you shouldn't proceed any further. And this is where I think I see a lot of people struggle and a lot of people get very overwhelmed because they're trying to do everything at once. They're trying to build out their website, they're trying to create designs and they're trying to market, but they're not even certain on their niche and they're, they're not even bought into it. They're, they're doing a bunch of different niches, almost creating like a general store. And so I really like what I tell people is until you're crystal clear in your niche, don't worry about those other elements. This is the most important. Everything is going to be influenced by them. So it could be a huge waste of time or you'll have to go back and redo a bunch of the work if you're trying to do all juggle all these things at once. So first and foremost, niche down, get crystal clear on your niche, who you want to serve, and don't go any further until that's checked off, until that is done and you're committed and you say, okay, I'm ready to go all in on this niche. Let me hit you with one more thing, Adrian. Have you ever actually yeah. looked up have you ever actually looked up the definition of a niche? Like what does the word niche mean? Because I, I have this I, in some yes, I, I have yeah. this in some of my presentations. I think it's I yeah. think it's really interesting because it's funny because we, we, like me and you were always like niche down further, go deep, like go deep. And people are look at us like, but I don't want to miss out on all this, you know, all, all this stuff if I go into a big niche or whatever. Well, there's two, the two main definitions. I want to read them to you. The first one is, uh, says a specialized segment of the market for a particular kind of product or service. The mm-hmm. second one that I, I like and I usually use a lot is denoting products, services, or interests that appeal to a small, specialized section of the population. 
I just think those the oh. just the definition is so interesting because the, the they both use the word specialized, and the second one even uses the word small, which I just think is so interesting because yeah. it's a niche is not like this huge thing by definition. And we're not telling yeah. you that you need to go into like a tiny little, you know, thing, but it's just crazy because a niche by definition is specialized and small. You know, it's not these huge, like, you don't want to just go into fitness in general. It's right. too, it's too broad. It's too big. It's not small or specialized. It's actually like just, you know, barely, that's more like a market, right? It's a little bit bigger than a niche. So I just think that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really interesting. And, you know, I think so many people, what I hear, what I've heard from a lot of my students is, oh, I don't want to leave anyone out. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to miss out on potential sales. And I'm like, well, if your brand appeals to everyone, you're going to be competing with every brand under the sun, the Walmarts and the Costco's and the Target's. Like, you're never going to get seen. You're never going to get seen because nothing is ever going to make your general brand stand out. You're gonna look like every other t-shirt business out there. Yeah. But if you can create a brand where you're like, this is who our customer is, this is what we're passionate about, and this is who we create for, people are gonna love that. Those people, like that segment of population. And really, you only need a thousand true fans. We've talked about this before in Six Figure Founder. If you can get people coming back again and again, you can have a six-figure brand just by remarketing to this group. But usually a niche, like the niches that our, 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 uh, our uh, students do and our niches, like they're broader than that. There's not, it's not that niche, you know what I mean? We don't think you should just target to a niche of like a thousand people. You should have a broader niche. but. It, it's a huge differentiator and it's going to make you stand out. Like imagine if whole strength just was for Christianity. Yeah, sure. They would probably be successful, but their brand would look completely different and they would look like they were competing with every other Christian brand out there. I don't think it, would, and, it wouldn't be as successful for sure. I don't think so either. I totally do not think they would be. Yeah, because people are like, man, I identify with this brand on two levels, two things I'm super passionate about versus just one. And generally, the more ways that someone identifies with your brand, the more passionate they're going to be about it because they're going to be like, this brand gets me. This brand just gets me. And they're not, a lot of times people won't even, they'll be so, they're like, I can't believe a brand exists for Christians who lift. I'm a Christian who lifts, you know, like those people are going to absolutely love this brand. They're going to be drawn in by that. So, all right, why don't we move on to number two now that we took up about half of the episode on number one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Let's roll faster. Number two. Yeah, number two, this one is huge. I'm very, very, very bullish on this. And I think that this is, I don't know what to call it, like one of the biggest mistakes that I see brands make, especially new brands, is... Number two is create designs that evoke emotion and relatability for your niche. And I don't just mean that people struggle to create uh, designs that evoke emotion and relatability, but a lot of people struggle to put in the time to do design research to find designs that are currently winning in their niche or in other niches that they can repurpose to create their own designs and by skipping that step, you're putting your brand at a huge disadvantage. B, 
because if someone did put the time aside to do research, found a winning design, a design that's winning right now, and use that as inspiration to create their own, they're more likely to have success with that one design than someone who just created 10 designs off the top of their head. That person with the one design that was well-researched, they knew that it was winning and they use it as inspiration for their own, they have, they have significantly higher chances of that design being a winner than those 10 that that person just created. Kerry, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, this is huge. One, one thing I wanted to add is, um, well, first of all, let me say, I think designs, like winning designs, and you know, designs that evoke emotion and relatability, probably even more important than niche. I'm gonna just say it, I'm just throwing it out mm -hmm. there, right? We just talked about how important niche is and having the right niche. Here's the reality. If you have a general store and you have niche-focused designs in that general store, you can make sales. We're not encouraging you to do that. We don't believe that's the best route to do that. But a good design will sell regardless of pretty much any other thing. And, I, and yeah. I, I'm thinking about, I just did the Facebook ads presentation in Miami, which was similar to what we did in our six-figure founder group. Uh, I did, you know, I did, I did uh, some training on Facebook and Instagram ads and I have all these ads in there with, they are just horrible ad examples that I found of t-shirts. I'm like, but they've got thousands of comments and they, and they're like, they're selling like crazy. Like you, like you can tell that they're selling like crazy uh, and getting so much traction. And it's literally because they have a really, really good design that, that evokes emotion and relatability. And they just have this really nice mock-up. But the ad copy is like buy t-shirt, good buy good t-shirt now. And it's like a <laughs> it's like a Facebook page with like no logo, you know, with just like yeah. the letter. And then they have no they have no um no headline. The headline just says like the page name, and then it's like shop now. And that's the whole ad. But it's killing it because the design is so good. So I cannot stress how important it is to to like put out a lot of designs test a lot of designs to find those winners. Uh, it's not as hard as you might think. It might happen on your second, third design. It might happen on your 45th design, right? I've had way more losing designs than I have winning designs. And I love how you talk about A grade, B grade, C grade winners, because not all designs are going to be these massive successes, but they might drive you know, revenue through your email list. They might uh, be profitable or break even on ads you know, or slightly profitable. I would also want to add just one more thing. I want to add like a 1B to this or a 2. This is, this is number two in, in the list of six. Like a 2B would be don't get too attached to your designs. I see this so 100%. often and I totally get it. You might be creating your designs. You, and here's what happens. We create a design where we're looking at it and we're, we put time into it. You know, we're, we're like, we, and we look at it and we're like, this is going to crush. Like this design is the one, you know, like I'm sure you yeah. felt this. I mean, there's been so Dude, many designs all, all the time, man. There's been so many designs. Most I created. The time they flop. <laughs> what's that? Every design you drop. And most of the time they end up flopping. That's what I'm, that's what I'm about to get to. You took my, you took my punchline. Ah. Well, that's what I'm saying is you, you sit there, you spend hours, you create this design and you're like, this is the one. And, I, and we see from our students of like, and I'm not calling them out, but you know, they're, they're like, I really want to run ads to this design. It's like, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. We want you to be excited. But don't get so attached that when the design flops or it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sell like you thought it would, 
uh, that you get so discouraged because like it, it's, it happens to everybody. It, it happens to everybody. It's always the designs that you think won't sell that actually sell. And it's always the designs that you think will sell that don't sell. It's like, I don't know what it is, but some of the dumbest designs that were just text-based that I'm looking at it, I'm like, this font sucks, this color scheme sucks, like, this is just a stupid t-shirt, and it just goes bonkers. It's the one everybody yeah, wants. So don't get too attached to your designs. And, and what I also just want to, I know I'm going long-winded, just you got to be, you got to be ready to just cut and just go to the next one. Don't burn money running ads. Mm -hmm and putting like weeks of effort, like you want to be putting out a design on an ad or a social media post. And within one to three days, you're like, this is getting traction or it's not. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm either going to just move on to the next one or, you know, you need, you really need some quick proof to, to continue like pushing that design. But even there, like you just have to be quick to cut, quick to cut, move to the next one. Don't be, don't get too attached because you think it's a really good design. Man, <clears throat> that is so true. Such good advice. Like take the emotion out of it. Take the Make emotion out of it. Make data-based decisions. Mm -hmm. Look for validation in the numbers and the metrics, in the engagement, in the sales. Like the, the data doesn't lie. And you always want to let your customers vote with their dollars. Like it's been the same for me. Like my first A grade winner, I almost never created it because I actually didn't like it myself that much. And so I didn't think my, my audience would like it and it ended up being an A grade winner. But I, I took the emotion out of it and said, I'm posting this either way. I have nothing to lose. You miss 100% of the shots you never take. Let's just get it out there. And it crushed, like it absolutely crushed. And then designs that I got really emotional with, sometimes I spent hours creating them myself in Photoshop and I had to learn new techniques through a YouTube video. And then I put it out there and it's just crickets. And it's really like at, at that point, at that moment in time, it's discouraging, but be quick to remove the emotion and move on. And I've had students before um, that have actually been very emotionally tied to their designs. And I remember one student, and I'm not like calling them up because I totally relate, like I've been here too, but they, they had this design that they really loved and they, they're running ads and it wasn't making sales and they're saying Facebook ads aren't working. I'm like, well, Facebook is putting in front of people and people are choosing not to buy it. And that to me is validation that it's not a winning design and I just said, you know, I don't think this design evokes enough emotion and relatability for the niche. And the data validates that, the data backs that. And I remember they said, well, I like it. And I, I'm not like, I don't mean this in a bad way or anything. That's totally fine. I've created so many designs that I really liked, but did not sell well. It happens. It's going to happen. Expect it to happen. We can't predict all the winners. That's why it's important that we're giving ourselves the best chances by doing design research and regularly posting new designs. Even some of the ones that you do design research are winning right now. You tweak yep. it, you use it as inspiration. Those aren't all gonna win either, but it's it's all about testing. Like let the let your customers off their dolls, let the data validate whether you should keep this going or not. So kind of to sum up what, what Carrie and I are saying here, take the emotion out of it and just look at the data, make data-based decisions. I, I wanted to give kind of like a, 
a, a pro tip or a, a, a tip on ways, what we've seen as like the kind of low hanging fruit and what kind of designs perform the best? Because there's definitely some uh, common characteristics and what I've found in a lot of testing and throughout my own students and having a lot of winning designs of my own is that generally winning designs fall into one of three categories. The first one is funny designs. I always call this the low hanging fruit because these are the ones that I tend to see perform the best and the ones that I see winning the most. So these are ones, when I see winning designs, they're almost always funny. Not always, but they're almost always funny. And my winning designs, they've all been funny too. So this is one that I definitely recommend. If you can create funny designs that are really relatable for your niche, those, in my opinion, have the best chance of being A-grade winners. Second is emotional designs. And this is similar to funny because funny is an emotion. But what I mean by emotional designs is I mean designs that really spark something in someone and bring out emotion. So maybe it makes them happy, maybe it makes them sad, maybe it makes them really frustrated or even angry. It, you know, there's a lot of subjects out there. You got the environment, you've got animal welfare, you've got religion, politics, social justice. There are so many topics that evoke emotion and it's not all happy and funny and laugh out loud emotion. This is like some people, there's all sorts, there's all sorts of emotions on the spectrum and any of these can win. It just has to evoke it in someone. That's generally what's going to be enough for them to pull out their credit card and say, I want to support this brand. This brand's values align with me. I like what they stand for. I like what this design stands for. And I want to go out there and I want to wear this on my chest. I want the world to know that I'm passionate about saving the planet, or I want the world to know that I'm passionate about social justice, or I'm passionate about patriotism. You know what I mean? This is generally people people like to share their values on their shirts. I've never said that before, but that kind of like works. People like to share their values on their shirts. You know what I mean? And so emotional designs are really, really powerful for that. Um, Carrie, any thoughts on that? No, I mean, uh, just to echo what you said. Uh, well, one thing I did want to add is, is that usually like polarizing, like great stuff that's, that's polarizing. Mm. Usually if they're, and you have it in here, but um, you know, things that make people angry, like generally just as kind of a general, not maybe not always the case, there are some things that everyone agrees on, but there are a lot of things that you, if it, if it makes somebody a little bit angry or mad or, you know, riles them up, there's probably another group of people that it aligns with, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and so when you make something that's a little bit polarizing or maybe gets people a little bit angry on, on one side, uh, there's, you know, that can be a good thing in some cases because there's a, might be another group of people that totally, uh, totally agree with that and are like super aligned with that. And usually those kind of topics, this isn't just political. There are definitely other, a lot of other topics that, you know, can, can fall in this category. Um, but generally with those kind of topics that make one side angry, fire another side up, those are really passionate groups, which means mm -hmm. they are higher, much higher likelihood to, to pay money because they are very passionate about uh, what they believe in. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's like, 
if you've got if you got passion on one end of the spectrum, you very likely have passion on the other end of the spectrum. And what's important is it's okay, and it's even a lot of uh, people will say it's good to have an us versus them mentality. This is our brand. This is the side we take. This is our values and what we stand for. And we know everyone doesn't agree with it. That's okay. Those are not our ideal customer. Those are the people that are rallying up our ideal customer, getting them fired up. And guess what? They're going to come by from us because their values align with ours. And um, that is powerful stuff, man. Like I have a friend in the social justice niche and she said whenever big events happen, like around social justice, she gets a spike in sales because people are fired up, like the emotions come out. And especially if she brings attention to this thing in the media or in the news going on, a lot of times that will lead to a lot of sales. So um, just going on to the third one. So I was talking about the three, you know, the three common threads of winning designs. They're funny or, and, or they evoke emotion and, or they're relatable. So ideally you could even categorize funny in emotions and say, emotion evoking and relatable. But what I mean by relatable designs is that they really resonate with your ideal customer and make them think to themselves, this brand gets me. Or when they see a design and like, oh my God, this is so me, or I need this. Or how did you, how did you know, how, how did you find me? Something like that, you know what I mean? Um, And the more kind of relatable you can get, the more likely that person it is to catch their eye. Not only that, if someone sees a really relatable design that they're like, oh my God, that's totally my friend in a nutshell, they're gonna share that with them or they're gonna tag them in it. And a lot of times those people will end up being your customer. So it's almost like you're getting free advertising from from them because you create this super relatable design that people are like, that's my friend, and then they share it. So um, yeah, those are the three. Those are the big three. I would say always make sure they fall into ideally the, the two categories, funny and, and emotional, and then relatable. Those two categories. Let's keep it moving. Number three. Cool. Tip number three, invest time researching winning designs, winning designs to use as inspiration for your own. Now, I kind of went on a tangent about this already, but it's because this is hands down one of the most critical steps, in my opinion, in creating a successful brand. And sadly, this is one of the most common areas that I see skipped by new and even existing apparel brand owners. Like Carrie was talking about before, that example of the, you know, this this winning design that had a terrible ad. That's the thing. Like if you have a winning design, everything else can be mediocre. You know what I mean? Like your marketing can be mediocre, your website can be mediocre. Even your niche sometimes could be mediocre and you can still make a ton of sales because you have a winning design. However, it doesn't work in other orders. Like you could have the most dialed in niche, you can have the best website, you can have the best marketing, but if you don't have a winning design, you're, you're not gonna get many sales. So that's why this is so important. This is foundational. And taking the time to do design research, man, like the ROI on this is immeasurable, immeasurable. Like this should be mandatory. Like so many people are creating designs just in their head. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I'm saying if you put that side by side with a researched 
proven winning design that someone has used as inspiration for their own, that one's gonna win like 99% of the time over the one that someone thought of in their head. And this is why it's so important. You're giving yourself a much bigger chance. And like we say all the time, you're always just one design away from taking your business to the next level. You only need to hit it big once to take it to the next level. Now, we want you to hit it big over and over. We want you to become a hit maker over and over again. But once you get that one, your, your motivation is gonna go through the roof because you're gonna be able to see the, the rewards of all that planning, all that work that you put in and the design research to find the designs. I said it, we had a, a live uh, Q&A call for Six Figure Founder today and we were talking about this and I told the group, I've never had a winning design that wasn't inspired by another design, never. And I'm not saying that you can't, I'm just saying I've had a lot of winning designs and every single one has been inspired by another winning design or a winning piece of content, like a piece of content that went super viral that I turned into, that I tweaked and turned into um, a design. Yeah, when, you really, when you really start thinking you about winners. it. When you really What's start that? thinking about it. When you really start thinking about it. I was trying, When you said that earlier on the call, Earlier this morning, I was thinking, I was like, I don't think I have either. I don't think I've ever just, like, because I was telling one of our students, I was like, I don't, the worst thing I could possibly do, if you want to see me just waste hours, just let me just stare at a blank page and come up with the design out of nothing. Cause <laughs> it, it will, I will come up with something eventually, but it'll yeah. probably, it, it's going to be horrible. Um, one thing I did want to add yeah. so that this is the third tip for 2024 uh, invest time researching winning designs to use as inspiration for your own. Another thing I would add is uh, uh, we have so many cool tools at our disposal, and you've actually got mm. actually got some of those in here. I, I, I just wanted to add uh, AI in there, artificial intelligence, man. Yep. Like, talk about idea generation. I mean, it can literally just pull the best stuff for you. Like, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty wild. There's so many different tools to use, but um, just going to AI for like ideas, and then take you can ask it not only like what slogans for this niche should go on a T-shirt. But you can ask it things like, well, what should I do for the artwork? What are some ideas for the artwork? Like, it just makes it so much easier. Um, that's not to say you should neglect, you know, the other kinds of research. AI is probably not going to be as good as those other kinds of research. But if you're, if you've got just a little bit of time and you want to go quickly, like, uh, or you want to add AI as a part of your, you know, suite here to help you uh, create, come up with ideas and create, then even it'll help you even create the artwork in a lot of cases. Uh, I think that's mm -hmm. one we should definitely we should definitely pay pay attention to. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that one out because there are so many tools out there. Um, I mentioned a lot of tools. Uh, you know, when I was preparing these notes, a lot of tools that are going to help you do design research and are going to help you pull out and identify designs that are winning and not just winning but winning right now. That's also very important because mm -hmm. if the design was winning five years ago it's probably been beaten to death with other yeah. copycats and other people taking that design. A lot of times, like there's a, there's like a shelf life on, on a winning design, right? This is why we always tell our students to scale fast and hard when you have a winning design, because you want to squeeze all the juice out of it as soon as possible before you get the copycats mm -hmm. and before you have people, you know, kind of stealing your designs and undercutting the price and doing all these things. Right. But some of the tools that, we really like using the first one, super simple, Google. <laughs> um, int uh, Instagram is one of my personal favorites. P 
Pinterest is really good. My actual personal favorite is Etsy. I love using Etsy for design research because a lot of trends, like Etsy is like a trend machine, man. Like when, when, when a trendy design or a trendy style comes out, I feel like it's on Etsy. Etsy is just like an amplifier of trends. That's why I like looking for winners in Etsy and I like taking them, use them inspiration to take to a website and to create a winning design that way because there's a lot more kind of income earning potential in my opinion, running, having, having the design on your website and running, putting paid ads behind that because you can scale it just so profitably yep. and you're not on this marketplace where you're competing with a bunch of other people and the average t-shirt price is like $18.99 and you don't have much brand control and stuff like that, right? Like with the power of paid ads, I love Etsy as a marketplace. I love making sales on Etsy, but ads get diluted, tend to get, or, um, Designs can tend to get diluted pretty quickly on there and have a lot of copycats really quickly. But if it's winning on Etsy, it can most likely be win on your website and you can usually scale it up a lot faster on your website. That's why I love taking these to a website and, and putting paid ads behind them that way. But um, the other tools, uh, this is one that you use. Well, this is actually another tool that I really like is Merch Informer. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a free version of it, which I totally recommend. And then this one that you use is Profit Busters. Yeah, Profit Busters is a really cool tool. It, it, it pulls in Etsy winners and Facebook ads winners. Um, and yeah. it literally just shows you the best-selling uh, best print, print-on-demand products, all kinds of print-on-demand products. And there, it adds in, I think, six per day. So there's a you can go in mm -hmm. and you can look at all the back catalog from every day. But you can see the ad, you can see the design, obviously, you can see the store, the price, I mean, all the things in there. And then you can also sort by niche. So you can just go in and be like, well, let's look at all the best selling cat designs and it'll pull them up from the last multiple years that they've had this database. And so you can just, I mean, it's almost unlimited uh, amounts of good stuff in there. Yeah, Carrie is really big on profit busters. I'm, I'm like, my crush right now is Everbee. That is my like design research crush. I am obsessed with Everbee. I think it's such a powerful tool. It goes through all the data in Etsy and it gives estimates on how many sales these designs are making so that you can get kind of validation that they're actually winning designs with numbers. Um, awesome. So it's a very powerful tool. That's my hands down, my favorite tool right now, my top recommendation, but Profit Busters does sound really cool. I'm not, I haven't played with it, um, but I also like, I also like going into the Facebook yeah. ads library. Uh, I do, yes. that, do that a ton. So if you, if you know oh. brands, if you have brands that you like to follow, maybe in your niche, maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're just cool apparel brands or, or print on demand brands, um, or whatever, any kind of brand, but you could just go to their Facebook page and then look at the ads they're running. And, um, yep. I specifically like to, well, first of all, if that brand is running ads, excuse me, you know, that. Um, that's a product they're putting they're putting money behind, right? So that's that that has more meaning to it than if they're not running an ad to it. If they're just you know putting it out organically, or if it's just on their website, it's probably not a winner, right? But if they're putting, if, especially a big brand, if they're putting money behind mm -hmm. it, it's a higher indicator that it's a winner. But also, if the you can look at how old the ad is and if it's still running. So you can see, like, you can go back, you know, especially with these big brands, you can go back six months or something and you can see 
this ad's been running for six months or three months or however long. Like it must be doing well for them to continue putting money behind it because uh, they wouldn't just be wasting money, right? Yeah, that's that's one of the best ways to find a brand's winning designs mm-hmm. because if they're if they're profitable, they're going to be running ads to them. It would be silly not to. And one thing we teach is you should be following five to 10 competitors, brands that you consider competitors, and you can literally just look at that list once a month and just check out the Facebook ads libraries, search all five to Mm -hmm. 10, see what they're running ads to. Immediately, you're gonna know what is selling right now, and then you can use that as inspiration for designs. So in kind of wrapping up this step number three, I just wanna kind of say this. When it comes to design creation, create for the demand. You know, this is, this is something that you, you, you should always keep in mind. Find designs that people are loving and searching for and use those as inspirations for your own designs. And pay particular attention, not just to the slogan. Usually it's the slogan that's gonna be the number one reason why it's winning and why people are buying it. But you also want to pay attention to other elements. So, you know, look at the font, look at the design placement, look at the design sizing, look at any graphics that they use, look at the shirt style, look at the shirt color, look at the, you know, what the t-shirt style, if it, is it like a faded wash t-shirt? Is it a neutral color t-shirt? Is it just a plain black t-shirt? You can look at all these elements and you can reverse engineer the virality of this design. Yes, the slogan in most cases is gonna be hands down the number one reason, but if you created that exact same slogan and it was a really ugly font and a really ugly shirt and everything was just looked really terrible and it was crooked and it was too high up on the collar, it's probably not gonna win. You know what I yep. mean? Like you want to take success leaves clues. You want to like take all the clues you can, like peel back the layers, reverse engineer it. And that's going to significantly improve the chances that that's going to be a winner for you when you use it as inspiration. 100%. All right. You ready to rock and roll on uh, tip number four? Let's go. All right. Step number four is to make your website easy to navigate. And I think this is another thing that's kind of overlooked. And um, this is why I love that in Six Figure Founder, we do unlimited website reviews for our students. And um, every week we're doing website reviews for students and they can submit as many as they want. And I love this because we can give them, we can look at their websites. Usually the first time we look at a website, we have a lot of feedback. Um, And then they go, they make improvements and then they bring it back. And then we give some more feedback and they just keep getting better. And one thing I will say is it doesn't need to be complicated. In fact, we don't want people to make it complicated. We want you to create a simple user-friendly website that looks professional and trustworthy enough for people to make a purchase. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy at all. But I think a lot, one place where a lot of people get very confused is the navigation of a website. And um, I just wanna break this down a little bit further. So. Remember, you always want to make it as easy as possible for your customers to buy, meaning you want to make your website very easy to navigate, allow shoppers to browse with as few clicks as possible, and ensure that your website is optimized for both mobile and desktop. 
Mobile is even more important because now I think we're up to over 80% of website visitors are on mobile. It might even be more than 85%, but this is really, really critical. And I think a lot of people, when they're building their website, I know me, when I'm building my website, I've got my huge monitor up, I've got it on my desktop. I'm not looking at it on mobile, but it's so important that when you do launch your website, that you test it on mobile, like pull out your phone, look at your website, make sure that everything's easy to navigate and that it doesn't require a whole lot of clicks to complete a purchase because every click adds friction to the buying process. And so it's important that we make the navigation very easy to understand, very intuitive, very seamless and user-friendly and try to reduce clicks as much as possible. So a few ways that you can easily improve your browsing experience is one, by grouping your products into categories. So having a, you know, a, a navigation menu for tees, sweatshirts, and hoodies, or what you can do is you can have like a shop button with a drop down, and then it's broken down by tees, sweatshirt, hoodies. I'm just giving an example if you were in apparel. Um, you can add product categories in the top menu of your website. That's always very helpful for people when they're, when they're shopping. You can direct visitors towards product pages, and you also want to be very intentional with things like your typography, your colors, and your spacing to make the navigation very seamless and intuitive for shoppers. And the last point I want to make about this is you just want to have very clear and easily visible call to actions that pop, that really stand out, such as a shop now or you know on your homepage or an add to cart on your product page, and then a checkout. Try to have just one call to action button per page. This is, this is something that we see all the time where there's multiple call to actions. And maybe it's just on a product page that there's an add to cart and there's a checkout button. Yep. That's confusing to people because now instead of just one obvious option, they have to choose two. And to us as you know, we've created a lot of websites. We've seen a lot of websites. It's very obvious. We're like, well, it's just two simple decisions. It's not like that for shoppers that, you know, a lot of shoppers, their minds are very distracted. We, we, people have very short attention spans. We just want to shape the path, direct them where you want, tell them where you want them to go. And you can do that by having one single call to action button that pops out over the rest. We usually recommend using your brand color and then not using that brand color on any other buttons or anything so that it's a no brainer. And when you have call to action buttons, we usually recommend always having them the same color on every page. Like the shop now on your homepage should be a brand color. Then on the product page, the add to cart should be your brand color. Then in the cart page, the shop or the uh, checkout should be your brand color. Then it just makes it easy. They know that every time they see that color, that's, the, that's how to proceed to the next step. Carry your thoughts. Yeah, there's so many things here. You covered you covered the majority of it. Some things that I would some big things I would think of would be uh, make sure your best sellers are on the you know on the front page of your website. Like you don't want people to have to search hard for your best selling designs, right? Like a lot of times they're coming to your site to find the best that this one design that's one of your best probably one of your best sellers. So make those up at the top of your collections on the front of your website. Make those best sellers easy to find. When it comes to like design. White backgrounds, like if you look at the statistics, you know, white backgrounds are actually the easiest on the eyes. If you do other colors, it's actually a little bit harder to um, to like interpret the website for a lot of eyes, even like on a black background. I know for me that's the case. You kind of have to like squint. It's a little bit of a struggle to look at it. Uh, so keeping a white background, 
Um, I always say like one to two colors for your branding. Three would be the absolute max, but in most cases you just need, you know, I'll keep it to two colors for your branding. Um, two fonts, a header font, even one is fine, but a header font and then a body font. Don't use weird fonts. See people use like cursive fonts and different things. Like don't, don't make it hard to read, right? Like just use a, mm -hmm. a, you want it to align with your brand, but just use a basic font that is easy to read, easy to understand. One for the, te the main text and one for like the headlines. And then uh, the last thing I was going to add, which is kind of related to here, is um, when you're running any kind of advertising, promoting or promoting on social media or sending out emails, always direct people directly to the product page uh, of whatever product you're promoting. So when you're running an ad you're, and you're showcasing one, this design, you want to make that button go right to the product page. And uh, this is one of the reasons why we have all these, you know, we have all these tips on here about one add to cart button and the, the branding and, and, and all that kind of stuff is you just want it to be as easy as possible for people when they find out about your brand to know how to go in and then make a purchase. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you want to do like upsells on the back end, like I would, we would highly encourage that and everything. But as far as like the checkout process, make it as simple, as quick as possible you know, as minimal amount of pages, minimal amount of clicks for them to get to the, you know, to, for them to make a purchase. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's fantastic. All, all great stuff. The only thing I would add to, um, where to direct people. If you're like, let's say you're running an ad, the only exception where we wouldn't take them directly to the product page is if it was a winning design and we actually created a collection with that winning design on a couple different products, mm -hmm. what we would do is we would test sending them to the collection so that they could see that there's other products versus sending them directly to the product that the ad is for. But the design is still the same mm -hmm. when we take them to a collection page. We yep. would have created a collection around the winning design. So we take we, we test sending them to the winning collection and send them to winning design and we see which outperforms and then we put the budget behind that. We just double down on that. Yep. Um, but yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Alrighty, two, two more tips. We're on tip number five of six for part one of this episode. Uh, tip number five. This is a biggie, guys. Have a high quality imagery on your website and try to include three to five product images if possible. Like you think about when you're making a buying decision, a lot of times you want to see multiple like angles, you wanna see like multiple images, you wanna see what this looks like alone, you wanna see what it actually looks like on a human. Uh, you know, this is why generally products with at least three to five images, in my experience, perform better than for example, products with just one image and maybe that's a mock-up and they don't even get to see what that looks like on a model or, or on anybody, um, that leaves more to the imagination. And I mean that in a bad way because it makes people wonder, well, what does this actually look like on someone? Is it gonna be really baggy? Is it gonna be really big? Is it gonna be really small? Even if it's a mock-up, uh, uh, you know, you wanna try to use mock-ups that look very similar to what it actually looks like on someone. And even on Playset, you can even type in, I know they actually include the style sometimes on Playset. So you can put in like Bella Canvas 3001 and it'll actually show models wearing that specific style. Um, 
but it is important to have multiple images of the product. It just tends to convert better when you have a couple images versus just one or even two. Um, this, this is also really big is ensure, and maybe this seems like a no brainer, but I'm gonna say it anyways, ensure that none of your images are blurry and pixelated. And it may seem like a no brainer to a lot of people, but Carrie, like you've seen this, right? I've seen this on so many websites, especially if someone's brand new and they're just learning and they're just starting and they don't know the proper sizing. It's, it's okay. We get it. We've been there. Like my, the, my version, one of my first website was trash. Like mm -hmm. I can't believe I made any sales. Well, I actually didn't make any sales on my very first website. Uh, that, that's a whole other story. I've talked about it before, but even my winning website, it was trash when I first started and I didn't know the proper sizing or anything, but Shopify's, what, what I recommend is that you make sure that the images are the correct size, format, and positioning. And I wanna share Shopify's recommendations. This is their image size recommendations for good loading speed and optimal quality so that it's not blurry and pixelated. 2048 pixels by 2048 pixels for product images, 1024 pixels by 1024 pixels for collection images, and then 1600 pixels or 1200 to 2000 pixels width, and 400 to 600 pixels height for homepage banners, also what we call hero images. So this mm -hmm. is generally under your navigation menu, you'll have your menu and then you'll have a huge image. And we recommend that you always promote a product on this image and you have a call to action button, like a shop now button. That's the image that I'm talking about. Um, but this stuff is really important. Like these are little things that can make or break trust, right? Like if Carrie, you saw something that you really liked and then you went to this website you'd never heard of and you were about to make the purchase and you look at all the images and they're all blurry and pixelated, I'd be a little bit worried it was a scam. I'd be like, who, uh, what is this? You know what I mean? Even if yeah, I mean, we weren't website creators ourselves. Same thing. Same thing is in. This is really related to this one in the last tip. But same thing if there's like a lot of typos. You know, obviously if you can tell it's a joke or something, that's different. But if there's right. a lot of typos, or you know, there's maybe images that have things on them in different languages, and you know, yep. stuff like that. Like anything that that makes it look spammy or unprofessional. Um, and, and the images are a huge part of that. If the image are blur is blurry or pixelated, uh, one that, one that, you know, we've started to cover in here, but I'll cover a little bit more is, uh, making sure the images are the correct, like format, like cr correct cropping, right? When you, when I go to a website and I see that they have like 12 products there on the front page and all of them are like different crops of the photos like one is really tall and then one is really wide and then one's a square and then two of them are tall and it's like they need to be cohesive so when you're when you're uploading uh product photos before you upload them or you can actually after you upload them in shopify you can even crop them there in the product description or in the product page you can actually crop them but crop them all the same like i would recommend making That's them all a square I would, I would make them all a square. That way on your collection pages, when it's showing a lot of different products, they're all going to look cohesive and the same because they're all square. And then when you mm -hmm. go to the product page, all the mock-ups are going to be square. They're going to look, it's just going to look much more professional as opposed to having them all different kind of crops. Yep. A hundred percent. Like when people are unaware, when they're unfamiliar with the website and they're going on it for the first time and they're going to give the credit card information, 
they want to make sure, like they want to be confident and comfortable in their decision. And there's a lot of ways that we can build trust and show professionalism and significantly increase our chance of getting that conversion. And then there's a lot of things that can break trust that and don't look professional and those can lose you a lot of sales. So these little things, they all add up. The last point I wanna make about this is always make the design the hero of the image. So whether this is uh, a product image, whether it's a homepage image, your hero image, like you always want the design to be the main focus. The reason being is that's what people are buying. You know what I mean? I feel like a lot of the time, you know, someone might have a mock-up or an image of this model wearing this shirt and they wanna make sure that it shows the model and it shows the beach in the background and it shows the palm trees in the background. And then they're like this tiny person in the distance yep. and you can't even read what the design says. Guess what? If they can't read the design, they're not gonna buy it. They're not gonna buy it because they didn't never saw it. And so it's important to realize that the design being prominent and catching their eye is way more important than the setting of, of the image. So always make the design the hero of the image. You want to make it stand out and you want to make sure that you're keeping in mind that most people are going to see it on a mobile phone. You want to stop the scroll. Yeah. And if you have a really small design, they're going to scroll right past it. That is not a thumb stopper. Even if it's a winning design, they, they won't know because they never saw it. Just one quick, just funny example. So I, did, I taught this class, this in-person class on uh, this past week on print-on-demand uh, all, all day. It was like I taught for seven hours. And um, I was teaching on this exact thing about uh, making the design the hero of the image on mock-ups. And I had this, uh, I think it was Place It mock-up on there. It was this girl, and she's, she was wearing a T-shirt, you know. And I just asked them, I was like, what do you guys, where, do, where does your where do your eyes go when, when you see this image? Cause I knew it wasn't going to be the, the design, you know, that wasn't the focal point. And I thought everybody was going to say face, but they actually said her hair, which I thought was interesting. Like everybody in the crowd goes the hair. And she had like, I know you guys can't see it, but I think she had like a, like some kind of, um, some kind of like, uh, like thing in her hair that was holding her hair up. And it just looked kind of odd. It was just, I mean, it was just kind of, something you don't always see her hair wasn't even that crazy but it was like some kind of like thing in her hair i'm forgetting what those are called for some reason you know the things that you like squeeze and then it like what is that called clip like a clip i don't know what you're talking about do we have any girls around um you know <laughs> you know you know, the, you know the hair the hair things that you like squeeze a scrunchie? The top. a scrunchie well a scrunchie is like you like that's like squishy and you wrap your hair in it. No, I'm talking about like the, yeah. the clips that you like press the top and it opens like the claw and it opens and then it, oh, you let I it know, go. Okay. I know what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't know. A hair clip. I think it's just called a hair, it's clip. a hair clip. Yeah. Like it's the hair clip. Yeah. It was one of those, anyways, it was one of those things <laughs> in her hair and that's what everybody went okay. to. And I was like, I mean, it, it made the point perfectly is that, you know, th that we want the design to be the hero of the image. We don't want people looking at other things in the image that might be drawing attention. We want them to look at the design. So anyways, yeah. normally you're going to go to the face. If there's a face in the photo, you may go to the face first. Uh, but then in some situations, there might even be things in that image where you don't, you don't think that's the thing people would look at. And then all, you know, lo and behold, everybody's staring at the hair clip or something. So yeah, they're, they're, they're scrolling through like cool hair clip and then they keep scrolling. They don't even see the t-shirt because they're like, what's <laughs> don't up with that hair clip? They don't even notice that they're wearing a shirt. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's dude. People are very like, think about social media, man. It's, it's very, there's a lot going on. Like there's constant, you could literally scroll endlessly and, and, you know, so like the attention span is so, so short on social media. And that's why if you can't catch the eye, if you can't stop the scroll within like a millisecond, they're yeah. going to be on to the next one. And they're never going to have seen your amazing design, which they could have bought if they actually saw it. Um, cool. All right. Shall we bring it home with bring step home. number six? All right, let's bring this home. Step number six of 12, stay tuned for part two. Step six is to provide customers all the information that they need to complete their purchase on the product page. I believe that the product page is the single most important page on your website because a lot of times that's where you're gonna be driving traffic to and that's where the decision is gonna be made to purchase or not to purchase the product. So what I say is on the product page, you always wanna give them all the information that they need to make a decision and nothing more. You don't want to keep them on the product page for a super long time. You don't want to have a lot of distraction on the product page. Just give them what they need to be like, I'm comfortable with this, I'm comfortable pressing that big bright add to cart button and completing my purchase. So some of the important kind of non-negotiable items that you should absolutely always have on your product page are first important product details. So you should describe the product and give any important details about it. Uh, shipping information, this is huge. Like if shipping information isn't on that page, people are gonna go looking for it because everyone wants to know when their order is gonna ship. Uh, and so you don't want them navigating away from this page. Remember, you wanna give them all the information for them to be comfortable and then press that button and proceed with their checkout. So make sure that shipping information is on this page. Next is a sizing chart. And one thing I wanna say about this is you can, you can put the sizing chart in the images, you can include it in the uh, product details, and if you have a pop-up sizing chart, just make sure that you do not take them to another page. Make sure that if they have to click a link to see the size chart, that it just pops up and that they remain on that page and they can just close it when they're done looking on it. We never wanna navigate them away from that page. That is our funnel, right? It's like product page, add to cart page, checkout, order's done. There's just one, two, three. And then lastly, ideally, you'd want to have product reviews to showcase customer photos, build social proof and trust. You can never have enough social proof. You can never have enough customer testimonials. And it's statistically proven that having these on your product page helps with conversions. Carry your thoughts. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I don't have anything specific on that point, uh, but all good stuff. Cool. Alrighty. Well, I, uh, let's see, how long have we been going for? I don't even know. Too long. Um, I'm just kidding. Hour, over an hour. All right. Well, we're, we're trying to keep episodes around like 45 minutes each. That's why we knew we were going to need to break this one up, but, um, let's end it off there for this episode. I hope you guys like this. I hope you guys have learned a lot. I hope you guys are going to take these strategies, apply them immediately. And it's going to lead you to have a ton of success in 2024. And guys, stay tuned. Part two is coming next week. Carrie, any final thoughts? No, man. Let's crush it in 2024. <laughs> 2023 was a great year. I just want to say that. 2023 was a great yeah. year. 
Uh, I think yeah. I think it's my biggest year. I think it's my biggest year ever, man. It's a it's really That's really awesome. really good year. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for everybody in 2024. Let's continue to grow. I know, uh, you know, like I said, I've seen tons of growth on my end. And then from students, I, it's got to be one of the best years, if not the best year ever that I've ever seen for students. So um, really, really good stuff. Let's kill it in 24. Let's go, guys. Let's, Let's go. freaking go. So thank you so much for listening, guys. We will talk to you very soon in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Print On Demand Playbook Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us an honest review on whichever platform you're listening from. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.